Welcome to Weekly Homilies. Each week we present a homily by Father Mark Suslanko, pastor of the community of St. Isidore and Maria in beautiful Glastonbury, Connecticut. These are introduced by myself, Jonathan Sozek, director of our community's Faith Formation Office. For more about Father Mark and the life of our community, please head over to isidoreandmaria.org. Today, we present Season 2, Episode 27 of this podcast. We'll hear Father Mark's homily from July 14, 2019, the 15th Sunday of Ordinary Time in Year C. The Gospel for this week is Luke, Chapter 10, Verses 25-37. to Let's listen now to that reading, then hear Father Mark's response. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, The one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord From its inception, our faith tradition has always tried to increase our understanding of who is our neighbor. In fact, the whole concept of biblical justice is based on restoring our relationships with one another, with God, with ourselves, with the world in which we live. The Hebrew scriptures that are at the basis of our faith tradition particularly specify our sensitivity to the alien, the widow, and the orphan. Even within the very roots of Judaism, understanding our relationship and responsibility to our neighbor is of utmost importance. 
Jesus takes this to yet another level when he tells us that you cannot love God without also then loving your neighbor. So it's even more important and even more significant to restore these relationships because you truly cannot have one without the other. Now all of us sitting here today most likely could take a piece of paper and a writing utensil and list those folks we consider to be our neighbor. The people who live on our same street, the people who live in our same condo association, the people who is, are next to us in church today, the people we meet in the supermarket, the ones who cash us out, the folks who live in Colombia, those who live in another state, those in other parts and corners of the world, indeed any one of God's children has the ability to be referred to as our neighbor. Defining who our neighbor is isn't the challenge. The challenge comes with defining our relationship with our neighbor. It's in defining that relationship that our faith life becomes a little bit more tricky and indeed a little bit more messy. The tendency that we have as human beings is to ponder our relationships with our neighbor by using our heads first. In other words, we have preconceived notions and ideas, theories and philosophies about who people are and what their relationship with us ought to be. Think for a moment about the elderly woman living down at the corner of the street who never comes out of her house. In fact, when kids go by her driveway, she's always out there telling them to get out. In your experience of her, she has never, in your opinion, been nice. She's just this woman who lives in this house at the end of the street. And so your sensibility and your experience says, keep away from her. She doesn't want to bother with me. I'm most certainly not going to bother with her. And so both of you get about the business of your lives based on what you think and what you perceive, and what you assume. The same is true of any number of folks whom we consider to be our neighbor. Sometimes how we think they are influences how we then act. If we think homeless people are homeless for a particular reason that has more to do with their responsibility than what society is doing, or bigger, larger problems outside of their control, then that thinking, albeit incorrect, is going to prevent that person from making sandwiches and going to a homeless shelter and feeding the homeless. Our ideologies, our philosophies, our understanding of life and the world 
can so quickly and easily color how we relate to people. Think about our society. Everyone can come to the easy conclusion, and rightfully so, that our world is calling, causing us to become more fearful and introverted. We're certainly much more guarded when we go into the public square, and rightfully so. There are justifiable reasons for that kind of behavior. But we also have to admit, on the other hand, that it influences how we relate to one another. So doesn't technology, as good as it can be. How often it is the case that you're walking down the street and somebody's got their face in their iPhone. You say good morning and you don't even get a glance anymore. The interactions with folks are colored by how we approach life and what we think about our life. Is that how Jesus imagines this love of neighbor thing to go? Is that how we're supposed to do this? Draw the conclusion in our mind and then act accordingly? I don't think so. We put the cart before the horse sometimes with our faith life. And we get things backwards. You see, Jesus wants us to look at things a bit differently. He wants us to do some heart work, heart work first. Not head work, heart work. He wants our hearts to be conformed to his. You see, we can't understand how Jesus relates to the poor and the afflicted, the outcast and the broken, the wounded and the sinner, unless we can somehow get inside of him. We have to get out of ourselves and inside of him in order to understand how he wants us to relate to folks. And this contemplative stand toward life, which is rooted in prayer, rooted in prayer, establishes my relationship with God, my relationship with Christ, so that I become more and more in his image. I begin to see things through that different lens, a contemplative lens that puts compassion, mercy, love, and forgiveness first and foremost before ideas, theories, philosophies, and rules. They always have to come first. And so if we have this contemplative heart developing within ourselves, if we have this relationship with God, when we see someone who is in pain, we're going to first respond to that pain and that need. If we see somebody is hurting, we're going to put our thoughts and ideas aside and go first with the hand of friendship and compassion. Maybe it takes knocking on the door of the woman who seems so bitter about life to begin to understand how she sees the world and why she may be perceived like that. You see, human beings are not things. They're not theories. They're unique, precious gifts created by God. Behind every set of eyes is a story. A story. A story of someone who's experienced pain, who has ideas, who has longings, desires, a heart, a soul. Not things. We're never things. But see, ideas and theories and regulations and rules, they can all make us easily into things. 
things to be manipulated and positioned in ways that sometimes meet our comfort zone levels more than anything else. As we deal with our neighbor, sometimes our heart is going to call us to deal with that immediate response first. In other words, if the person in front of us hasn't eaten, we need to feed them first. If they come to us without clothing, we need to clothe them first. And then, once we have that immediate response out of compassion and mercy and love, then we begin to do the other work. We allow that enlightenment to then influence our brains and help us decide where we go from here in dealing with the bigger picture of what is in front of us. In doing it that way, we always remain committed to the work of God. Our hearts, first and foremost, have to be enlightened. Because let's face it, if we truly believe in God and we truly believe that we are nothing without God, then an unenlightened heart is always going to lead to nothing. An unenlightened heart is always going to lead to nothing. Only an enlightened heart is going to fix us on the truth of who we are and what we're called to be and do. And it's not rocket science. God places all of that stuff right within us. It's already in our hearts. It's already in our minds. All we have to do is listen to it and carry it out. Listen to it and carry it out. We have to get out of our own way in order to listen. And we have to set aside our own agenda in order to carry out God's. But the person who has the right to be called our neighbor is indeed a person. A person with needs, desires, and aspirations, just as we have. A person who deserves our respect, who deserves the openness of our lives. We all know those folks who are able to open their lives. We all know those folks who have the space within themselves to welcome someone else within when we develop a contemplative heart, when we focus our own heart on the heart of Christ and become more in his image and likeness, then we also create that depth of space where you are welcome in me and I am welcome in you. I have room to hear your story and you have room to hear mine. And together, we build up then the body of Christ. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.